Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast for the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment. A series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures like the one you hear in a few minutes. I'm Chen. I'm Miles. I'm Anthony. And I'm Red. This week, we join Alex as we talk with Chris Brown, the VO director and audio engineer at Double Fine Studios. We talk with her about the game she's worked on and get some advice from her about getting into the industry. And I do have to say, this was a fun chat that we had with her. A lot of insightful knowledge and little bit of fun stories about her time working with Jack Black with Brutal Legend. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, uh, Miles Chun, what did you guys think? And you got anything you want to say about the interview? It, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting to uh, talk to someone and listen in on someone who's really sort of done a lot of games. Like, that sounds kind of dumb. Um, like she worked on Brutal Legend, she worked on uh, The Cave, which was Double Fine. She worked on mm. uh, Psychonauts, like all these games, and yeah. specifically the audio side of it, which is you know stuff that we're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to just hear sort of the shop talk, and it, and, yeah. and go into that. It's always yeah, good bro. to have someone more experienced than you to talk with. You can really ask a lot of stuff that you thought you you might know, but actually you don't. Or maybe just mm-hmm. get some advice so that you can be better in the future. Yeah, and legit, it was—it's it, a nice little peek behind the curtain as well of like getting into what it's actually like to make the audio side of this and like record and have someone direct you. Um, but we'll get into that as soon as that interview is over. But I want to throw it over to some news. We've been bringing up the shutdown of the Vita store and uh, the PlayStation Three store. But there's a little bit of a pushback. Yeah, so a a lot of uh, PS Vita developers who are still making games for the PlayStation Vita were not properly uh, given notice of the store closure. So many indie dev studio teams are sort of scrambling now to get these games out. Also many games being canceled in the process so that's no fun many many indie devs are just sort of distraught right now at how playstation sort of handled this upcoming change playstation has had similar things of like uh lack of talking with developers before making big decisions like this right i'm not I'm not thinking differently because I feel like they've had similar issues before, at least with lack of communication between developers. I mean, I think they tried to change that for the PS4, at least more embracing indie devs, but maybe not enough at this moment. I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, there are still even games being worked on uh, the Vita, like... It's it's this interesting sort of very long tale of games being 
released for consoles that are really no longer new. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't remember when the last GameCube game came out, but the last uh, uh, PlayStation 2 game came out in 2013, November of 2013. Uh, wow. But the, pl- the PlayStation 3 came out in 2006. And the last Wii game only came out last year, like in 2020. Yeah. And the Wii, like, came out in 2007. So, like, it's a 14-year cycle of, you know, the console comes out and then, you know, the initial rush of games for it and then it just slowly peters out. Yeah, but I think specifically with, like, the Vita and stuff, it's such a... It had such a niche fan base, uh, Mm -hmm. but, like, consistent. Like, a consistent fan base that liked that portable PlayStation experience. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish I wish they would do another one now, but we'll see. I don't think we're going to be seeing another portable one in the future. People have phones. Yes. Well, I'm Very sure true. they work that out. I mean, there are a bunch of ways. I'm not going to say what ways, but people will work that out, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other recent game news, uh, the most expensive game ever sold recently was at heritage auctions this past friday i believe for uh a sealed copy of super mario brothers for the original nes sold for six hundred and sixty thousand dollars i it's probably (laughs) been a bit deteriorated and never playable but it's a very cool it's a very cool uh you know shelf display (laughs) I don't think it would deteriorate to the point where it's unplayable. I think you'd have more trouble finding a working NES for it than... Yeah, I, I, well, I agree. Come on down to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment <laughs> when we're open, everybody, and try it out. We do have playable copies of the original. Um, I mean, how much would you shell out for a collectible game? Like, a rare, a rare thing. If I really... Maybe... Oh, God... I don't even know what game, but I think if I really wanted it, I'd probably five hundred dollars. That's like my upper limit for anything, really. Yeah, pretty much. That's like the, that's like the upper limit of anything that I really want to enjoy. I'm like, ah, oh, five hundred is the max. I'm mm-hmm. a, I gotta really love it. Gotta just, really love it. Just if you're a gamer, why would you buy the game and not playing it? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, apparently. Buying people have been buying the crap out of Monster Hunter Rise uh, as they <laughs> just passed five million copies sold in what a week, a weekend, uh, something remarkable. Oh, like a little over a week, but that, that's another remarkable thing. And we, we, I think we can talk about this uh, a little bit after too. But everything about the Monster Hunter, every new Monster Hunter release. Uh, it's the same talk of this is the most approachable monster hunter, and it's going to open the doors for everybody. Um, I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we'll get into it, but I do not know. Not now. No. <laughs> I do not know. But Not now. Uh, I think it is time to throw it on over with the interview with uh, Alex Chris Brown and us. So get excited. Uh, here they are. Here we are. Woo! Enjoy. And we are back with Chris Brown. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. 
<laughs> Thank you for coming back again. This, uh, <laughs> we, uh, of course, with an audio engineer on the line, I screwed up the audio recording. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So you were at Lucasfilm Games and LucasArts when the change happened between names. Right? Yes, the first one. How did you get to be there and what were you doing and how did you move on to what you were became mm. your career? I started there as a temp uh, working in tech support for two weeks on a break from college. And then I was asked to stay uh, and then became the manager of that department. And then we started doing what we called talkies. And they needed someone who had experience with talent and casting and also working with actors in a creative way. And I had some experience with that uh, from a previous internship. So started working on Sam and Max as my first project and casting that. And then went on to do Full Throttle and then all of the Star Wars games and Tim Schafer games through Grim Fandango. So casting Sam and Max, I mean, this was when having a voice actor in a video game was a brand new concept. And Sam and Max was sort of like this totem for Lucasfilm games at the time, the, the, the unofficial mascot, right? That must have been a very interesting process. <laughs> yes, it was great. Um, I'm good friends with Steve Purcell and uh, Sean and Mike, the project leads. So it, a lot of us were fans and we were really, really familiar with the comic books and kind of the feeling and, and ethos of the combination of morality and absurdism. So uh, being able to bring that to the actors, the actors were thrilled to have an opportunity to have that combination of uh, mirth and innocent malice. Yeah, some of the some of those lines in the Sam and Max game are, are sort of delivered in a very interesting deadpan fashion. Like, how did you get that kind of a portrayal out of? I mean, this are this is not your standard cartoon fare, right? It's almost like a noir cartoon. It is very much, yeah, and it's got a whole sort of um, dragnet vibe to it. So there are a lot of things from uh, film noir, and then as that shifted in the fifties, and then and then sort of became. Uh, sort of the dragnet and then almost into like the naked gun. Uh, there's a great sensibility there where there's sort of this rich depth of uh, powerful meaning and darkness, but also because of that, you push so far that you get into the flip side of comedy. Um, the actors were really, really attuned to that. Uh, both Bill Farmer and Nick Jameson came from cartoons. Bill Farmer had come from Disney, was doing Goofy, and Nick Jameson was on something called The Critic, which sort of uh, was a Simpsons, you know, there's a lot of uh, rich send-up vibes there that, that exist. Yeah, no, the, jo the John Lovett show mm -hmm. is a great show. Yeah. So also you uh, you tracked down Admiral Akbar at some point too for Tie Fighter I believe right <laughs> I Yes that was <laughs> that was uh, Eric Bowersfeld and he did not have any kind of internet or he he barely had a phone that he answered messages uh, from and he was a linguist and professor a Shakespearean actor very well known in the um, Bay Area community especially at Cal where he taught and uh, Ben Burt. Um, had known him from developing some Hatties language things, and then they had lost contact. So I did a bunch of digging and eventually tracked him down and got a typewritten three by five card with his name and phone number on it and called him up and he was willing to come be Akbar again. And we worked together for, gosh, for months in a little studio in Fairfax in California. And he was just the loveliest, just deep and generous and kind and, and wonderful. 
How do you explain to these voice actors how to deliver things? I mean, we talked about Afterlife in the original one. I love some of the, the voice acting in there, you know, the phrase dribble nerds and so forth. But on the other side of it, it's really sort of dry stuff. It's explaining how to play the game, right? Even though it's embellished with fun text. How do you get these actors to say, you know, you need to build more siphons in order to expand your, your world? And, and how do you communicate with them to, to, to do that? Um, I think it has to do with loving the games myself and bringing that enthusiasm and joy and reverence and also the background of uh, the technical support and the customer support that I did um, in the very, very first few years of my work at LucasArts. Um, so it's it's being able to have that enthusiasm live within myself, live within my body, so that it comes out in my voice when conveying that to the actors. Excited about it, they're excited about it, and interested and curious, they are as well. And it comes from a deep love of the users and wanting to have them have an enjoyable experience. Uh, so since you're uh, in the audio engineering world in games, and we have uh, you know our three three of our uh, hosts here from the podcast who also are audio engineers, I thought I'd turn it over to them to let them ask questions here. Uh, who's first, guys? I'll field one. So I guess my first question uh, sort of loops back to something Alex was talking about a little earlier. Um, I'm curious, sort of, what the like the development of uh, working with voice talent um has how has that changed from when you started working to now like when you started working with you know games like um full throttle and some of the earlier games yes thank you the 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 the, the very classic stuff like transitioning from 2d games to point and click games to 3d games to you know like full throttle to like how did that change over time essentially mm. i think the difference now is that um people really understand what games are and the type of emotional power that they can have for the players a really deep name of what 60 hours of gameplay or even you know if you're playing hades it can be 30 minutes of gameplay but it's still the importance of the uh, veracity that needs to come to each moment as each line is spoken i think that in the beginning people really didn't understand they didn't understand why it mattered or that people had an emotional investment in games and so there was a lot more explanation to say no look even when you're playing Pac-Man, you have an emotional investment. It's not just about winning. There's a whole thing that's going on within human psychology about wanting to do well and making up stories because we're a storytelling group of animals. So <laughs> yeah, I am, and I think that people really understand that on a, on a much more intuitive level nowadays than they did before. Mm, do you mean, I'm sorry, I'm not quite clear. Yeah, I do. I think that there's a greater understanding. Tom Abernathy, who's the narrative director at ArenaNet, fantastic talk about um, the head writer. He himself does not uh, direct the voices so much as I understand it, but he gave a great talk at GDC about 
um, the importance of character and that when people go away and come back, what's important for them is not the lore, which is the keeping track of the like Lord of the Rings style, right? Like if you've got if you have to understand the movements of armies and peoples and developments across time and, uh, and track all that stuff, what sticks with people and what resonates with them most powerfully is character. And so the thing that has always helped me to um, convey the most effective way to give a powerful performance in a game uh, is to speak the truth of the moment. That then that can be applicable at any time, in any place, um, with any type of background. Um, and we do that in helping the writers refine their work as well, um, to get them to write something that is true and is not um, as much as possible necessarily context dependent. You know, it always will be to a certain degree or to write specific lines within a group of um, contextual applicability. It's really the actor being able to um, access their truth um, and then bring it so that you don't, doesn't necessarily have to be tied. That, I'm not sure if that answers the question. <laughs> mm -hmm. hundred percent. Yeah. And it's to always be telling the truth. Like that's really the thing. Um, so that it's not put on. Oh my God, I will never, ever have enough positive with Jack. He is the most, just, I mean, they're just, it's, he defies any type of ex, like, he's the loveliest. When we talk about being pure of heart and we talk about speaking the truth, he is fearless and he will go anywhere and he will bring 100% commitment and honesty to that performance. Um, he has no... He has no bullpucky, like he has no, um, I'm trying to think of a polite word for, but he just, he doesn't have any like egotistical needs at all. Like he's 100% committed to whatever the performance is. And that can, these incredible, I mean, as a dramatic actor, his capacity to express intense vulnerability like if you watch some of his film work, um, he's, I mean, he's amazing. And, and he's, and he, and he loves, like he's willing to do things and to explore areas 
that I think that um, lesser mortals would never dare. I just, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I adore him. Like, and I'm not saying that because he's famous or well-known kind of thing um, doesn't matter to me. What I care about is an actor's courage. And he is just, there are no limits to his courage. He, I think he's astonishing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm. Um, yes, I started out uh, being a super nerd. So <laughs> loving audio from, from the very beginning, I was uh, very fortunate to be exposed to um, learning how to record on mag and cut on mag and um, just sort of always experimenting and recording my own sounds as a kid. And, you know, I was just a, the kind of a nerdy hobbyist, you know, listening to the different sounds of the creek. Yeah. So I think um, if you're passionate about it, that that's the main thing is um is exploring that passion so that then you have a base of truth like again i always say this word today the truth um but you have this base of of being able to build a bond with other people like it's not a career move it's just like you can you can harmonize with other human a like level of this is a thing that i super love and that way you can a way to have a conversation with people um i do think that um there are so many amazing audio programs now so i think that pursuing it um certainly pursuing some type of um, music is good, um for for musicians um understanding just even the general terms but also understanding the nature of sound is is massively massively important so even starting in junior high school i would just get familiar even if it's not your thing um yeah and then i and then i would uh look also into like i mean there's so many small audio groups like there's the women's audio mission in in san francisco which is fantastic yeah and i would i would join groups like industry groups i mean there's a zillion facebook groups for games in particular um where there's a, a lot of people and I would go to meetups like a GDC or, or any small packs audio stuff. It's a very, very small community. That's an incredibly generous community. What do you look for when hiring someone? Like, what do you want to see in the people you're hiring? Like the portfolio, what do you want to see? And, or how do they get started in something like voice acting if you're looking for a voice mm. actor? That's a good question. Um, what I look for is, uh, well, I mean, for a very, very beginning voice actor, I look for, I mean, really simple things like, are they good on the mic? I mean, that's a that's a basic level, you know, mic usage. Um, I look for comfort, or I listen for really comfort. Um, are they able to be relaxed? Are they not easily flustered? Do they have a good sense of humor? Um, are they comfortable doing what they're doing? Um, and I listen for obviously the characterization, um, and also stamina. I always go through and I listen to their demo and I listen to whether they're doing a bunch of teeny things 
um, or whether they they have something kind of more to offer. You know, is it a is it a one note dinner party joke like where it's just sort of like oh this person is funny in small things and they're in a portion of time. Is this person really an actor, like they're very committed to the the craft of acting because it is a a craft. Um, so it's less about um, having a good voice and it's more about again as going back to the jack thing having that um courage having that strength to really commit to a performance for a long period of time yeah um what do you think does it to take to be a good audio engineer oh oh boy to be a good audio engineer i mean there's <laughs> there's soft skills and there's hard skills i think it's important to protect your hearing from an early age Um, I think a lot of audio engineers are um, have a lot of struggles with being able to hear well, and it's because they end up, they love sound and they love music, and their hearing is harmed. Um, and I think that that's a big thing that we need to talk about in the industry. Um, I think engineers need to be supported by their studios and also by the industry at large um, with greater tools and also supplementary tools if they are dealing with hearing damage. Um, which can happen when they're doing client services, mixing for a film, and the director's in there, and he's like, "Oh no, I want you to push it more, more, more," and the mixer is getting his hearing destroyed by this client on a feature, and there's no mechanism for that mixer to, to then go and say, "Hey, I'd like to have some assistance. I'd like to have a hearing aid. I'd like to have this." And so, yeah, I really feel strongly that protections for audio engineers are critically important, um, uh, and. Soft skills, knowing what to say and when to say it, is 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 critical. <laughs> I mean, that's more of a director directorial thing. I mean, you had mentioned like even telling them the scene that they're recording for isn't exactly the scene that they're recording for. Just you know, just imagine somebody dropped a shoe <laughs> in your soup or something, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> That's true. I will say, uh, I will say, whatever the thing is, that get the truth of the performance, even if it's not necessarily something that's truly happening in that moment. So you you will lie to get the truth. <laughs> I will lie to get the truth. That is an excellent way. I should act. I should put that on a business card. <laughs> I will get your permission because that's a great. That is my job. <laughs> yes. So you can absolutely use that on your business card, Chris, and we will hopefully have you back again in the future. This has been a delight. I know that the uh, the engineers here are taking notes for their future jobs, and so uh, and I'm taking notes to get my job on Futurama when it comes back. Nice. So, thank you very <laughs> thank much. Thank you Chris. so much. It's such a pleasure. Pow. Okay, and we're back. Yeah. We're back. Okay. Uh, but. I I can't thank Chris enough. That was such a marvelous, uh, delightful interview. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, such a great time. I was so into it. I stumbled over my words on my last question there. I couldn't quite get it out. But we'll hopefully some. Got to work on our interview uh, behavior. But uh... yes. Uh, hey, it's our first one, so I chalk one down to to finished, and notes are taken to improve in the future. But thank you, Chris. Again, uh, hopefully we will get a chance to talk with you once more and hear about any exciting things in the future. Um, 
again, thank you so much for your time. And everybody at Double Fine, come come hang out once we can again. <laughs> I think it's pretty soon. I heard news about it already, I think. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just so cynical about it now at this point. Yeah. But it's okay because we, all, we have games. And that's what and that's what we love. And luckily, it's been a boom for being staying at home and having getting it to delve into some new stuff. Uh, anything big that you all have been playing? Anything new? I mean, there was a cyberpunk update, but there was no big things on my end to report. So, end of that. <laughs> you know, it's it's only a week till the <laughs> the monster to rise. So you know what games I have been playing the whole week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you managed to get any more sleep? Uh, we were concerned about you last week. Um, of course. Uh, of, oh, oh, of <laughs> so course. convincing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think I I do take a good rest of it. I mean, I can't just throw everything other than one center in my life and not do them. So I do have to control myself a little bit. But <laughs> I do keep a decent time of playing. Good. In a better manner, in a better in a better time manner, yeah. That's good. I, I haven't been playing it. anything new, but I have been playing something old. Um, mm. uh, I've been playing through, or I basically just started like this past week, uh, playing through the Metroid Prime series again. Because uh, I have the the collector's uh, like triple package for the Wii, where mm-hmm. all three of the the bundled games are on the Wii. Um, so I wired up my Wii U and it still works. So I started playing it and it is a lot of fun. It's a bit dated. Uh, the graphics are not amazing. I mean, it's a game. But is that an aesthetic thing? No, they look bad. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's blurry. It's made for the GameCube. Like the original Metroid Mm -hmm. Prime came out, I think in like the early 2000s. Um, it's just not a very pretty game anymore, but it still plays fantastically. It's amazing. Might have to get another CRT. They should make like a, a, a CRT app that would convert, a, at least make visually display sim- similar to a CRT TV on an LCD. I think that would be good for reimagining old games on a hmm. new on a newer screen, because that's definitely one of the bigger things that I've seen. In the past, I mean, that's why you, uh, all of the old competitions, you like all the competitions you see of Melee, they're all done on a CRT because you can't, it's the input lag and everything is just so not Yeah, but uh, built those people are, are crazy and <laughs> taking it a little too far, if you ask me. Well, hey, we support- Send on the hate the mail. Ma- at the Museum of Art of Digital Entertainment, we support Melee tournaments and we support- uh, the continued use. Uh, we even support original Smash Bros. We uh, we actually hosted tournaments at the made space of Melee tournaments oh, and uh, Smash 64 tournaments. Oh, great group of kids uh, and not kids. I mean, they're, they're not like there's a lot of just. I, I don't think there is many children playing Melee anymore. Uh, the the level of Melee is too hardcore. If you get if you're good at Melee. You, you break the game on a consistent basis in order to maintain your high level of play, which is another thing 
that just still kind of blows my mind. But I guess that goes into metagaming, mm-hmm. which I think would be an interesting little conversation for one of these times. But regardless of that, um, Chun, you need more sleep. Uh, Anthony, are you still <laughs> playing? Uh, uh, like, are you still playing? Uh, oh my oh, God. It? Ghost, Ghost of Ghost. Tsushima. Yes, um, Tsushima. N- uh, not anymore. I've finally moved on from that game. Still love it, but you know. What have you been playing? Sail sail on. Um, I just recently started uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I'm sort of a sucker for action adventure platformers. I'm I'm really liking it so far. Um, I thought it was going to be this sort of just very linear kind of progression through the game, but it's actually some parts are kind of open world ish. So you have the freedom to, you know, if you want to go talk to these locals. Um, which, by the way, the environment is just so beautifully done. You know, you're you're put into these sort of settings where there's just a lot of people. There's a lot of sort of storytelling going on. It's super super awesome. Also, um, have a soft spot for story, like really good storytelling exposition. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, is it like is the world building really satisfying? Like they really make you feel immersive and in it. Yeah, yeah, it it really rewards you for sort of exploring kind of like all the little nooks and crannies, um, you know, talking. You have the option to talk to various NPCs, and they'll give you some backstory on, you know, what's going on around the world, and that's relevant to the story, of course. It's not like all this unnecessary expo dumps. Um, okay. And, you know, I feel, you know, the game is Tomb Raider, so mm-hmm. the main mechanic of the game is, you know, raiding tombs. So <laughs> it, it feels very relevant. So what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm very I'm very satisfied with this game. Interesting enough, um, uh, Crystal Dynamics also worked on this game, which I was surprised on seeing Ooh. that they were involved with the series. So hopefully they can add some more flair to the future yeah but yeah uh really 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 great game awesome mm-hmm. well i think is it is it that time is it that time y'all is it time to wrap it up uh, unfortunately i i think it <laughs> might be we can t- we can go on all day one of these days we might have to have like a a, a chat episode just uh going deeper and deeper into the what we've been doing Thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at We'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the maid afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Miles. I'm Chen. I'm Anthony. And I'm Red. Thanks, and we will see you next time. I guess we've like I guess we've never really seen you. I we'll hear you next time. Or you'll hear us next time. Bye. <laughs>